You're listening to the USCA official podcast, which takes you behind the scenes of eventing, covering all the big events, professional tips and tricks, interviews, special guests, and the latest USCA eventing news. Welcome to the USCA official podcast and listeners, we have got an extra special bonus episode for you today. So today's show is taken from an episode that was released a couple of months ago on the Echo Ratings Eventing podcast and it is when Nicole met Doug Payne. So here you go. This is the show that was released a few months ago and we will have some more content coming for you on this channel this week as we build up to Protoni. But for now, if you haven't already, then do go and check out the Echo Ratings Eventing podcast and enjoy this special episode with Doug Payne. And we're back on the Accreating Eventing podcast with another When Nicole Met. Very kindly supported by our lovely friends over at Bedmax. And today's guest is a man who we have spoken about a lot on the podcast. He has featured on the podcast previously, but we haven't dug any deeper beneath the surface. And that is what today's show is all about. He was best of the US accommodations in Tokyo last year. Uh, he is a Pan American Games gold medalist. Doug Payne, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It is our absolute pleasure. I think the last time you were on the show, there was a Valentine's quiz on the card. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Today... I still think that was rigged. I will tell you that. <laughs> I think it was rigged. Today is probably distinctly less pressure. Less pressure. Uh, less pressure can't even get my words out listeners we're in the the midst of a massive heat wave here in the uk and i'm basically melting into a pile of eventing geekery um okay let's dive in so i wanted to start this show by talking about a horse who has had an enormous impact on your career and he was the horse that you rode in tokyo last year he has retired this season and that is van diver so just tell us a bit about him in terms of how he came to be in your barn yeah, sure. For sure. I mean, without a doubt, he would be the one that had the has had the largest influence on on our career and our life, honestly. Uh horse bred by Debbie and Kevin Crowley. They live in Alabama, so probably seven hours from we we live in North Carolina, so right near Tryon where the World Games were held. Um yeah, Quinn, as he's known at the Barney came to us initially to be sold. He had competed through advance but was kind of spotty in his record and you know, Debbie sent him and said, well, I think we, we might just sell him as a, a jumper instead or, you know, find something, you know, another path for him maybe. And a couple weeks in, there was just something about him that to me, I thought potentially there was more to to go after. And so Debbie having bred him and, and known him forever, and it's probably one of the kindest, most genuine horses you'll ever meet. Um, she was eager to continue going and so we struck up a partnership and Jess and I for you know from that point forward we're 50-50 owners with them and you know we just started going from there so that was some I think seven almost eight years ago now uh, very very special horse and certainly taken me to a, a number of firsts and uh, yeah I mean capped off with uh, Tokyo last year was just a you couldn't ask for a much better horse and ended up first out on course, but like he's a little unorthodox, but like crazy genuine and uh, always seems to get the job done. So, you know, with that, it was uh, hugely, you know, just very, very lucky really to have a horse 
like that uh, for your first games for sure. It's, it's been a heck of a ride with him. I mean, when you look at everything that you guys have achieved over the years, but what is he What is he like at home? You say, you've say you said genuine a couple of times. I mean, I think that's... Oh, he's crazy genuine. So he wouldn't be, I, I'll say this, he wouldn't be the most talented creature you've ever sat on, for sure. And with that, he's a tricaner, so many, many huge uh, respect for all the Tricaner uh, fans out there because there are no more ardent supporters than a breed than those. Um, but they do have some odd quirks, right? And so he would be one that would, you know, I don't know, if a, a leaf go, blies, you know, blows by, he'd be one his big old ears would like perk up and his eyes would pop out of his head and he'd kind of look at it. But he wouldn't go anywhere. He wouldn't do anything abnormal, but, um, you know, dangerous any sort of way, shape, or form like that. But um, you wouldn't be shocked if he had a little moment you know with some oddball thing that you'd never expect uh but when it comes to like working he was a most diligent hard-working trying type of horse you'd probably ever meet and um on course you'd be better off surprising him with something you know if it was a progressive warm-up our show jumping warm-up the last couple years it was like literally probably four jumps maybe total because you'd be much better off to to try and catch him a little off guard because then he'd be super focused on it. If you did a super progressive, quiet, easy warm-up, then he'd probably be a little more like available about the whole thing. And the same thing then happens cross-country, which in the end probably was advantageous because you could slice in on a tight line and, you know, come off of an oddball turn and he'd only jump better because of it. And so um, it's, it's been a privilege to ride and uh, no better sort of finality to it because we, we finished up Kentucky and honestly it was about – a third of the way around the course and I said you know at some point you know everybody always tells you that you'll know when it's time and I knew it was time then but for him to finish up in perfectly sound you know strong kicking on shape um and then now he's he's going to um gonna head back to his breeders and owners with Debbie and Kevin and and Debbie back in the day had won a three-star um and so very very good rider and so you couldn't ask for a better situation really he honestly has had the most incredible genu genuine journey over the years. I mean, he's completed, I think, five different five stars um, outside of Tokyo, which we'll talk about in just a second. Is there a moment that stands out for you performance wise at an event that is one that you look back on and think that was pretty cool? Yeah, I would say the, you know, one of my first bigger successes at Kentucky finished fifth there and sort of second among the U.S. horses and that was kind of the beginning of it because I think Boyd finished I think he was I was fifth I think Boyd was third but they were sort of one two in the U.S. thing and and Boyd was on Tessa Lake who was by the same sire as as Quinn with in Ben Diver there so um, it's pretty cool that the two brothers you know had success there and then you know two thirds of the team was uh, you know a U.S. bred or a U.S. stallion that is. Um, yeah, yeah I, would, I would say Kentucky, right? Kentucky, Kentucky 2019. Boyd was second, I think. It was the year he was, he was second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. close behind Oliver Townend um, with Cooley Masterclass. And and it was a really, really tough competition. But, uh, you know, Van Diver shone on that occasion. I remember seeing him out in, I think it was the first year I came out to Carolina. He won the four-star short there, which was always a super competitive class. And it was always one that he absolutely excelled in. He seemed to love Carolina as yeah. part of his... Of a course, like that, 
and I tell you, and he's one, he's one at the, at the fork, which is that trying, but both those courses really suit him well, because, you know, if you have a kind of a stronger horse, they tend to be a little bit twisty and turny and, and honestly, you just wouldn't have to touch him. You know, you just keep galloping through and he's just always good off a tight turn or, or a short approach sort of thing. So those courses really suit him well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you can't you can't help but just be thankful for the opportunity that honestly he presented to us, and um, you know, it's and, and something you always about, look back fondly on. What about Tokyo? Because he it was your first sort of um, major championship as such in terms of an Olympic Games. You had been to the mm-hmm. Pan American Games and got team goals, finished individually fourth with star witness back in 2019. But the Olympics that were essentially held in 2021 were sort of the, the big championship debut for you. Um, you were originally selected as the traveling reserve, which is always, as we've talked about quite a lot on the podcast over the last sort of year, 18 months, maybe even longer than that listeners, um, a tricky position to be in. So I guess, first of all, the emotion of getting your first Olympic call up, what was that like? kind of surreal honestly you get the you get the nod and i think we're all born and bred competitive right so you want to you want to be there and uh when we first got notification that i was going to be the traveling reserve clearly huge honor right and you can't be um critical is the right word but disappointed maybe upon it i mean there's a there is a slight aspect obviously you want to ride on the team right i mean that's your that's your ultimate goal so um but having been selected period out of and it's tough now with the the olympic games with just three riders so number four i mean there's just so few spots out there to be had period you know i think it was um at that point once you 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 know that you're going I think you have an obligation at that point to prepare as if you're going to ride and I viewed it as something that clearly my job is to be as supportive as I can for the people that would be riding um you know however that might be and and then you know what a few weeks in we found out that you know I've been bumped up and you know that's even that's even a more wild experience right because you you can't help but feel bad that you know, Liz's horse had an injury, you know, that would restrict her ability to do it. But at the same time, you know, it gives you a lifelong dream that's coming to reality. Then it's like, okay, well, you're going, you're riding, you better make the most of this. And, um, you know, from that point forward, not that you weren't motivated before, but, you know, you even have more motivation to make sure that you can do the absolute best that you can uh, in representing your country. It's like the roller coaster of emotions, isn't it? There was a lot oh, of this yeah. around Tokyo. It was one minute you were up, the next minute you were thinking, oh my God, is the Olympics even going to go ahead? It was just unbelievably tough for everybody. What was the the sort of the the feeling like in terms of the lack of crowds as such when you headed out to Tokyo? Well, because- I got to tell you what, I was not as concerned about the crowd situation, but the, the, the big X factor too that I don't think was talked about all that much is um, with COVID kind of hanging over your head, like we were vaccinated, all that sort of stuff, whatever, but, but they were collecting and testing daily. And, you know, they basically told us, look, at any point in time, doesn't matter if you're in competition out, whatever, you get a positive, you're going to this construction trailer and you're going to hang out there for two weeks, you know? And 
I could not imagine a worse situation than like your horse is fighting fit, you're ready to go, all this kind of stuff, and then you pop a positive the evening of dressage or something, and so you don't get to go cross country, and you're now sitting in a solitary confinement. I mean, that <laughs> that was almost more pressure to me than than performing on the stage because at least I had some ability to control the others, you know. Did you find that that you were very Obviously, we've spent the last sort of two years washing our hands, sanitizing, wearing a mask, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, did you yeah, yeah. literally almost think if you come within three meters of me, mate, I am going to be saying, nope, hand out, stop, don't come any further? Well, you kind of figured, OK, your team, you're 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 kind of in it as a team. Right. So we, we did have some talk, you know, make sure not to as best we can avoid contact outside of that. But I mean, there's only so much you could do. And then you're in shuttles together and you're in this sort of I mean, there's. You know, if we were to get it, yeah, I guess you were to get it. Um, but having that additional pressure hanging over your head, aside from the fact that this is the biggest stage you're ever going to ride in and, you know, you're representing your country for the first time and everybody obviously believed enough in you to put you on the team. Now you better fall through. Um, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. And then and then on top of all of that, our family couldn't come along. Right. So we have two little kids. And so we're FaceTiming as best we can. And, you know, either early mornings or evenings to try and catch them on the, the flip side of the day. And, um, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. So, because uh, you you hit the nail exactly on the head, and actually, it's something that we've kind of forgotten about now because it didn't happen. But at the time, there was a very real possibility that the Olympic dreams would be obliterated, um, totally off the field of play. And actually, nothing ever did unfold in the equestrian disciplines. And to be fair, yes, I think there were some instances throughout the games, but actually, as a whole it seemed to be controlled very, very well. Certainly the high-profile instances didn't didn't come. Um, didn't happen, yeah. No, we, I mean, thank goodness, because it could have been absolutely disaster dub. Did Jess travel out with you? So were the kids at home? Were you out together or did Jess... No, so I, I wasn't able to, as the traveling reserve, I guess, honestly, I'm, you know, looking, looking back, it, it is what it is, but we because I was the traveling reserve and we were limited on spots altogether that could travel long story short. Um, none of my immediate family support system, whatever was able to come along. So, uh, along with us was Courtney, who is our, our head groom and manager. And, um, she's really like Quinn's like soulmate basically. So she was obviously there. And then, uh, Debbie and Kevin who bred Quinn, uh, were able to, to come along. But, uh, outside of that, everybody else was watching from home. It's tough, isn't it? You know, it's this, it's as much mental, um, the Olympics in that sort of situation as it is the, the kind of physical performance. When you take everything into account, actually, it's unbelievably tough for everybody that, that was taking part. Um, what was your, what was your feeling through the competition? You ended up feeling, fe- finishing best of the US combinations. You were 16th overall, which is, I would say a very, very good result. Were you? What were your expectations going into Tokyo? How pleased were you with that? Um, I think you know, in a in a perfect world, and and you guys would know best as far as stats go. But I think he, like our performance there, fell in line with averages coming in. So, yeah, you'd love to think that you can put an absolute personal best on it. But in realistic terms, if you're able to replicate what you have been doing leading up. I think you've done your job quite well. And the first phase is always the biggest challenge with, with Quinn. He's not exactly built for it. And 
um, we did have, he had a stifle injury early in his life um, in his right hind and almost ended his career. We ended up doing surgery and, and took about a year to recover, but he came back stronger, better, sounder than he's ever been. But he always had a lingering weakness there that like in the, call it the left to right change, it would always show up as being a little short or sometimes pop up or, and we had the best strategy you could manage for him to try to set him up exactly right. And, you know, I think three of the four worked out pretty well changes. And, you know, I think you had a, I can't remember exactly at a 32 or 33, something like that in, in the dressage, which I was honestly pretty happy with because, um, you know, it, it is what it is. Our lead up on cross country, clear across the fences. We had a few time penalties. I think that was the hardest thing about um, our lead up is we were really limited on our ability to do any sort of fitness stuff after leaving the state. Um, there was epic rains in Aachen where we were doing our pre-export quarantine. And um, I think all three of our horses, honestly, were, you know, had a tough time with that because they, they all three would have been generally pretty quick horses. And um, all three were certainly, that course took more out of them than any of us expected, I think. Um, and then the show jumping, you know, he's, he's, he's quite a good jumper. If he's going to make a mistake, it's going to be an oxer into a combination. He'll have the back row behind. And, um, you know, I think we had two, what did we have two over the, the two rounds total. Um, so I, I would say it was, um, I, I was very proud. It wasn't like the absolutely most spectacular performance you've ever had, but at the same time, you know, I was, um, I was quite pleased, you know, to, to, to knock that out and, um, you know, coming away the, highest scoring you know you wish your team you wish it could be the worst scoring on the best team but um you know knowing that you know you put in a very solid performance is uh comforting for sure you you actually it's really interesting you hit the nail on the head um pretty well from a, a stats perspective in terms of you know you go to to big championships and you go to the big big five stars and everything else and even going to your local beginner novice or b100 or whatever it might be that actually you you want to do the best that you could possibly do in every single phase, but actually bringing all three phases together and kind of keeping in line with where you're at, that is a big achievement in itself. And I know um, Sam, Sam would certainly have something to say on it if he was on this show, uh, probably a lot more eloquently <laughs> than me. But um, yes, I totally get where you're coming from on that one. Uh, what was the feeling like coming home because it had been such a roller coaster of emotions as we say you know the kids were at home Jess was at home what was that feeling like landing back on U.S. soil an Olympian best of the U.S. combinations having had such an experience I'll tell you what I was never happier than getting that final COVID negative test that I knew I had <laughs> the ability to get home <laughs> um but yeah once have that I mean that's something that doesn't sink in right away it's yeah, it's funny. I, I grew up, obviously grew up riding as a kid and my mom's judged at two Olympic games. She judged in Rio and Hong Kong. And it was one of those things you always dreamed that you would have the opportunity, but I never looked at it as, as if I made it or I didn't, that was going to make or break my life, you know, as it is. Um, but what a tremendous feather in your cap to, to add to it. And, and I think that, that aspect, um, honestly, it's probably still thinking in a bit, um, but it gives you a tremendous amount of confidence that you can hopefully go back and, and replicate it. You know what it took to get there, and now you also know more what to expect and 
and and honestly, how better to attack it the next time to get even a better performance? And that's I think the name of the game really is to figure out a way to to continue improving because it's none of us are happy losing. I don't think. I was going to say the true competitor is like, I've done it. Now, how can I go back and do it even better next time? That was actually, that was one of my questions. You know, um, I'll I'll come on to the kind of the family in just a second. But in terms of what makes you tick, you know, what made you want to pursue a career with horses? Was it riding at the five stars? Was it? Never wanted to. I'm going to tell you that right now. I have a degree in mechanical engineering. And I worked for a while as a forensic engineer, did accident reconstruction. And I thought upon graduating university that that's what I would be doing and then sort of riding recreationally on the side. And then I had, um, I'd applied for a job, quite a long story, but become an expert witness who this primary guy was working with was in, in our, in the U.S. court system. You have to either go through and get a doctorate or... So you're in school for quite a lot while longer or um, go through the um, sort of the state police. They have a whole investigation unit and such. And then basically once you're there, then you could get admitted to court. Once you're admitted to court, you're golden. Um, so I was going to go through the state police and I have a number around of psych testing and physical tests and all sorts of I mean, it's probably nine months worth of applications and such to get admitted. Um, and I've been admitted, but then they were having financial troubles. They kept pushing the start date off of this academy and on and on. And during that time period in between, I wasn't just going to sit around, frankly, right? So I started riding, you know, more and more uh, professionally and came to a point where I was making almost what I would have made starting salary-wise. And the reason I never wanted to ride professionally before was that, um, you know, based on how my family Sort of state afloat and, and made their business. My mom judges a ton and she teaches a ton. And I didn't think it'd be viable to primarily ride. Um, and long story short, in this time period, I figured out maybe there is a way to make this happen. Um, and so I figured, you know, I'm never going to, I'm going to regret not giving this a shot. And being competitive, I really absolutely despise losing right so then once you're in it and you're competing then it's okay now it's just the drive to get better and better and better um yeah so never look back at this point and absolutely you know love it for sure um and very very lucky that uh our family is as deeply entrenched as it is because it certainly added you know gave us a whole ton of support it's amazing, isn't it? You know, when you when you talk to top riders and you hear their their sort of journey and their pathway, whether it be from non-horsey backgrounds, horsey backgrounds, um, being very well educated in other things and kind of hearing the journey into the top of the sport. It's so fascinating because there's no sort of one size fits all. And, it you know, hearing no. what, other people, what makes other people tick is very cool. Um, and I think that to me, to me to be successful, and this is probably in any venture, but especially early on in your career, you have to figure out a way to differentiate yourself. And, you know, our deal growing up, we had one horse, you know, our family wasn't from great means, right? So we had one horse growing up, my sister and I, and, and our deal was always at 18, we had to sell whatever we had, go to school, and our parents would help with tuition there. But then anything beyond that is completely on our on our dime. And I think that was incredibly motivating then at that point, because frankly, without the backstop, you, you've got to make it happen. And to make it happen to me, you've got to figure out a way to differentiate yourself from your peers at that point. And 
um, you know, I think uh, if you can if you can do that and you know find or or demonstrate that additional benefit that some others might not be able to offer people, then you know clearly it's you're going to get more support and and then it just snowballs from there, right? I mean, it just takes years and years, but um, but yeah, you just keep going. It almost becomes a way of life then, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it, it, you're, you're sort of entrenched within it. I, I find it really interesting, obviously, your your mum's influence in your career. Um, do you do you train with your mum? What what impact does she does she give you any advice in any way? Um, or so, I mean, input, yes, for sure. We we geographically don't live terribly near. We're probably eight hours away. Um, but she would often be at bigger competitions or sort of any of the four and five star if they're domestic she's most often there or um you know most of the international stuff if she can come along she will and so in that way then we're always sort of sharing videos and um you know time that i can get to ride what i find most valuable is really riding through test movements and such and basically telling her look i want you to basically judge this and what <laughs> what how can i tweak it you're, you're not going to change it in a day but how can i tweak this to you know, mask some sort of weakness that potentially could help with the scoring, you know, and just trying to figure out how to present the best picture um, to, to the judges. And yeah, I mean, that's such a tremendous advantage without a doubt. Is, is a, a huge part of your life in terms of family and now Jess and the kids, what impact have, have they had on your career and how has that changed, I guess, your, how you mentally sort of approach competing as a as a very competitive person yeah i um you know i'm just crazy lucky so jess had ridden through five star as well eventing and she actually grew up doing the show hunters and i had some experience in jumping before and sort of we ended up obviously blending businesses together and and then we've we've sort of migrated we're probably half and half between um the jumpers and the event horses. We should have by the end of the year uh, three FEI jumpers, and we've got um, a good pipeline of, of event horses for sure. But Jess's influence—I mean, she does almost all the managing as far as entries and billing and back, you know, the, the back end of things. And then, you know, she would be at the ring watching any of the influential horses warming up at all times, and having someone that's there that ridden it that would understand where you're coming from and and also have the experience behind to say look you, you mean you need a little more of this or that or whatever it might be um yeah it's a tremendous benefit and we're lucky enough our kids are hudson and abby they're two and four now they know nothing other than just going around on the road and going to different shows so if we're i think we're home for more than a week they're 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 asking us when we're going to the next horse show and where we're going and who what friends are going to be there and that sort of thing but that's been a, a whole lot of fun um having them along with it it adds a whole different dimension and listeners just to give you a little insight into how this podcast has come together um it is evening time here in the uk so toby is in bed asleep uh doug's two kids are at home napping mid-afternoon in the us and we basically decided that it was like sleeping child's roulette would one of them who would yeah. wake up first? <laughs> how long have we got um it, you know it is a real juggle and, and i guess a, a brilliant distraction to a degree from the kind of the all-encompassing uh, consuming nature of our sport from that perspective um well let me it, it does give a lot of perspective too because like we had 
uh, I jumped in a, a two-star uh, jumping last week, and we have a three-star upcoming this week. And like the Grand Prix was okay, but I had, you know, had 12 faults or something in the Grand Prix on Saturday night, you know, and so it's so easy to be frustrated about that. But then, you know, the kids come running up and want to show you their latest toy or the little fort they made or whatever. It just does put things in perspective. And, um, you know, we're lucky that we're able to to have that to keep everybody grounded and then for sure we'll work harder to fix the problems we had last week and and uh, back jumping this week so that's um it, it's been it's been incredibly good really it keeps the reality in it keeps the reality um without a doubt let me ask you about the the flying because you <laughs> yeah, might, perfect. this might be this might be something that a lot of people don't know about you but you uh, well tell us about it you are a pilot um, yep. And you quite often, if you if anybody follows you on Instagram or social media, there's just a photo of you flying a plane, which never fails to boggle my mind because I'm fascinated by that. Yeah, plane. no, it's we we are very very lucky in the in the U.S. Like flying is difficult to convey because the cost of the whole thing. I, I always thought it was cost prohibitive, right? And, and like I said, my degree is in mechanical engineering. I did a whole ton of stuff in school with control systems, so would be um, sort of your drive-by-wire or fly-by-wire sort of situation, the actual systems that make that all work. And so I always had interest in it and just thought, forget it. There's no way, you know, we could ever realistically afford to do it. And we were living in Aiken, South Carolina for a while. And um, a friend of ours, Mike Laver, actually owns some horses with Boyd. He actually runs the airport in Aiken. And kind of one thing leads to another. And then I broke my collarbone. And I was like, you know what? got talking to Mike and talking to a couple other friends of mine that, that happened to fly at the time. And they said, you know, it wouldn't be that, that bad to do. And so we kind of jumped in and I had a busted up wing. Right. So I couldn't really do anything. Um, so I went all in on it and probably, it probably took nine months by the time I got my private and then went and got my instrument rating as well. Uh, we've got a, uh, a little Grumman Tiger it's called. So it's a four seat single engine um, travels at a, 155 miles an hour and so real rough numbers it's three times faster than driving so if it's a nine hour drive it's a three hour flight but the craziest thing it's a super efficient package it's um on a per mile basis it's the same cost as driving the your normal pickup truck so in the you know in the end of it and beautiful thing about our tax law here in the u.s we can write it all off because it's a business expense then i'm traveling to to ride and so it's just like having another car, really, except for the fact that, um, you know, I have two very good friends that that were influential in, in really getting it all off the ground. And they both told me, you know, it's um, the plane is really a time machine and time is the one thing you'll never get back in life. And so especially with the kids, it's been it's been wonderful because if we're able to, you know, we're done competing, call it, you know, three o'clock, wherever it is, we could be near enough home for dinner. You know, we're 20 minutes from the airport to our house at home and or if we have seldom do we have days off honestly but like if we have a day and a half we can take the kids and in an hour we can fly to the beach or an hour we can fly into the mountains in north carolina or wherever it might be or um, it's just opened up so many opportunities to spend time with family and um and then if it's a busy thing or you know like uh fbi week here courtney's able to trot the horses up so we can spend an extra day at home riding and teaching and all that sort of stuff before we head out. And um, yeah, it's been a game changer, honestly. And aside from all that, like I love 
the aspect that it's a completely different mental activity that you know it it's easy to get obsessed with really and um it's something else to think about so again you're not just all day every day consumed 100 percent with horses it's something else to to really sink your efforts in and uh, yeah it's just a whole lot of fun i love that flying is a time machine that is such a great analogy and actually something that makes such a difference um and it's sort of that you know working more efficiently isn't it of being able to yeah and and the thing is like i said on a small scale now if you you get a jet okay the expense goes orders of magnitude greater you know but like on a small scale it's that was the most mind-boggling thing to me is that you know it's uh on an annual basis it's the exact same cost as having another car you know it's uh it's just crazy you know that's brilliant. And the kids, um, honestly, the kids love it. Like they, they're so fun. <laughs> they're, they sit, we got two little car seats in the back and, you know, they, they get all excited. And um, Hudson, my son is, he's completely obsessed with the GPS. So he's got a little iPad and he's, when we're driving, he's got his, his map directions out. When we're flying, he's got, it's called four flight. It's basically, you know, Apple maps for flying. And he'll tell us all about everything or the, the one time we had to fly over top of the field to sort of circle back down just where the traffic was going and such. And all of a sudden he's yelling up front, we missed the airport, we missed the airport. <laughs> no, buddy, we got we got to circle back here. So but it's it's been uh, it's been absolutely great, really. And he's four, so I mean he's a co-pilot. He's four. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. Oh sh- it'll it won't be long. It won't be long because he's he's already he just loves it. He'll sit there, he'll research and we say, Okay, this is the airport we're going to. You know, he'll tell us all about the runway, about which direction the thing is and you know, the identifiers and what FBO we're gonna go to and yeah, it's it's, it's great fun. That's very fun. Um, going back to, to this year and, and just touching, I guess, once more on, on Van Diver after his retirement at Kentucky, because um, there was something that actually, when I saw and read about it online and saw the pictures and everything else, it brought a tear to my eye. And I'm, you know, half a half a world away over here in the UK and really quite removed from the situation. But it just felt so special that Courtney, who has been a massive part of his career and your careers together, um, I mean, you described her earlier as his soulmate, actually got to partner to Quinn Van Diver round an event just a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. It was was great fun. Um, Yeah, it's pretty special. You know, the thing you would always hope, and, and I just would never forgive myself if I pushed him too far and had some sort of career ending injury that, you know, all of a sudden he doesn't have a great opportunity to enjoy sort of stepping down from the top end of it. So I, I couldn't have imagined a better scenario. Um, and then Courtney had ridden through intermediate in the past and she probably has more hours in the saddle than I do on, on Quinn, especially, I mean, we had a year of rehab that was just a lot of just long walks and such. And I mean, she did almost all of that. And so for her to be able to go go out and experience going out of the box on cross country with him, uh, you know, it was, it was super special. And, um, you know, without a doubt a moment, we, I won't forget. And Quinn just looks so freaking happy, you know. I mean, he just absolutely loves it. And, you know, for these guys that have been out doing it, I mean, he had been doing advanced for, I don't even know how long. I think we looked it up, something like 12 years or something. You know, I mean, it's it's all he knows, all he loves. So if we can start to just, you know, sort of step it back a little bit, I mean, he could do prelim or your novice, I mean, until he's 25, probably, you know, it, it's just not an effort at all for him. And, and he came off the course, big floppy ears going everywhere. And, you know, he, he just absolutely loved it. And they beat you. 
I know it. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was that was a big thing. I was uh I said, Courtney, you you know, as soon as I realized we had this uh it's a young horse that's just about, you know, he's sort of on his way up and he was quite good at the competition before. I said, Oh, Courtney, we're going at it now. We're gonna have a, a complete <laughs> showdown here. So I had her in dressage and then we were both clear show jump and then went out and had a few time penalties and unfortunately relinquished the, the victory, but I couldn't couldn't think of a better better horse for sure to take it from me. Absolutely, absolutely. Um what a setup of your yard now because you you've got the jumpers, you've got the eventers, you're dabbling rather well in some pure dressage as well. Doug. Tell us about the setup between Yeah, so we had a, a horse um some years ago called Crown Talisman that was sold over over to the UK and that honestly was one that um we owned half of with the partners of ours and he really sort of set the foundation. We we're able to buy a um the property that our our farm is currently at, we're just north of Durham, North Carolina. So Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill is kind of just mid center of the eastern United States. Um, we have uh, 30 acres there, 26 stalls, and um, probably just about split down the middle between the jumpers and the event horses at the moment. And we've got we've been for quite some time buying babies, so we try to buy one baby a year at least, weanlings. Uh, the oldest of which is Quantum Leap, who was third at Kentucky this year. And we've got a, a pipeline of just super talented horses sort of behind him, coming up behind him, which has is, is been a whole lot of fun. And frankly, I think the best path forward as far as, um, you know, having the horsepower behind you that you know is going to be reliably there for some time. And, you know, having a place to establish, you know, certainly for the horses and then for our family to, we can build whatever we want to build. And we've got a after arena cross country, you know, schooling, conditioning, all everything that we need is really self-contained at this point. And we're incredibly lucky. It's, the job is probably never done. We've, we've got a couple of big projects left on there, but um, it's it's been absolutely wonderful. And you know, there's a everybody will have to either get onto Instagram or Facebook. We've got tons and tons of pictures posted, so it's um yeah, super special to have. And what about the dressage dreams? Because it's actually yeah, so yeah, no, for sure. So we've got one, one in particular, one very special horse called Star Witness. She was originally, originally, she was a show hunter that she was too hot for, um, and then within a couple of years, she went to the Pan American Games in Lima, Peru. But uh, super, she's an extravagant moving horse, and she's done uh, three four star longs, and. Our ultimate goal, eventing-wise, would be probably the Pan Ams and then maybe Paris uh, for her. I don't know that she's ever going to be a true five-star horse, but she's got so much talent, and like a four-short is perfect for her, really. Um, and so we'll, you know, we'll see where we're at with that. But on the side, um, we're schooling everything in Grand Prix now, and it's been a goal of mine to have some. Um, competitive experience and success in the straight dressage ring as well. I've, um, I've got a USDF silver medal, so scores through pre-St. George um, and I won, but uh, I do not have any Grand Prix scores yet. They're soon to come though. That's the, that's the goal on the short-term horizon. That is the goal. Um, what about the eventing? Obviously coming up over the next few months, we've got Protoni, you've got Quantum Leap who went very well on the podium in Kentucky. Uh, what are your thoughts and plans over the next few months? Yeah, so I, I hope the, the World Games and 
I would hope that Quantum will get the nod. So that would be that would be huge. Um, he's an 11 year old and one that's just just about getting there. You know, I mean, he's certainly had a a fair bit of success, but I think there's a lot more in the tank there to to be had. So I'm, you know, just very very lucky that we have such horses coming. But behind him, um, we've got a horse called Camarillo that's done a four long now. He's a nine year old, and then we've got two eight year old stallions actually both. Um, that are would do the three star long this fall uh, at the um, at Maryland, and so we'll you know we'll see. And then we've got a, a boatload of youngsters coming up behind to see you know who goes where exactly when. It's um you know who knows. It's really up to the up to the horses to tell me when they're ready to to move along. But we've got a, a bunch of talent uh, behind us, and I'm just grateful for the opportunity. Lots to look forward to. Um, Doug, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and to kind of dig a little bit deeper into your story. And I'm sure, I hope our listeners have enjoyed it as well. Yeah, no, thank you very much. And uh, we look forward to catching up again. We will. We absolutely will. Big few months coming up. Um, Doug, thank you so much. Listeners, thank you. It has, as always, been an absolute pleasure. And a big thank you, as always, go to Bedmax for their support of the series. And we will have lots more coming your way. If you have got somebody that you would really like us to feature on this show, then by all means, send us a message. We would love to hear your suggestions and we will see what we can do. But for now, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back very soon with more. Thanks for listening to the USCA official podcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback, then we would love to hear from you. Get in touch through any of our social media platforms at US Eventing. And don't forget to subscribe on your preferred podcast platform to make sure you don't miss an episode.